So there's like this threshold in my brain uh, when it comes to memories. As you know, obviously pictures really help with that. In fact, my wife and I, we have uh, Amazon photos. If you don't use Amazon photos, I think you should. It's really awesome. And every day we get a reminder from Amazon photos, here's this day in the past. And I get to flip through and see all these memories. And it just brings some stuff back that obviously that I've forgotten over the years. I think it's about five years. It's like this moving conveyor belt of memories. And I just had my birthday last week. I'm 43. So that means about 38 past. I've got nothing or very, very little to nothing. Every year that goes, another year falls off the edge. And I, and I just don't really remember all that much. But there are a few things in my life that uh, stand out and stand the test of time and really, I hope, stay with me forever. One of those resolve, re- revolves around the story of my daughter, Cadence. <clears throat> this is Cadence. Isn't she beautiful? I think she's beautiful. I mean, she's my daughter. I should think that. But anyway, about 12 years ago now, um, my youngest biological son, he's 13, so he was just a, a little over a year old. We, Holly and I, my wife, we, we started to feel God kind of working in our hearts uh, that we might uh, be called to adopt. And so we started into this process feeling the stirring to adopt. And if you don't know anything about adoption, uh, adoptions are stupid expensive. I mean, j- it's just really ridiculous. And, and we didn't have the money. Uh, but we moved forward anyway, uh, believing that God was actually calling us to something even if we didn't have the money. And, and so uh, we just stepped into that, believing he would move. But also being completely honest, we were perfectly okay with dumping whatever we needed to on a, on a credit card or getting a loan if we had to. And, and so along the way, uh, people were awesome. Uh, people that were part of our church at the time. Like if you've known anybody that's adopted or if you've adopt, adopted yourself, there's just these things along the way. It's like these, these little bills that come up, $100 here, $1,000 there. And it's just, it just starts to eat away. And, and people were awesome in helping us do that. But we put plenty on credit cards too along the way. And I remember this day like it was yesterday. I can picture it perfectly. We were over at Indian Creek. It was Sunday. Uh, it was one of my first Sundays at Relevant. I've only been around for a few weeks um, uh, attending Relevant or being on, on staff at Relevant. And um, we were going to be leaving the next morning, Monday morning, to fly to Ethiopia to pick up Cadence, which you can see right there, no tattoos, baby face, me right there. Um, we were about to fly out the next morning to go get Cadence. Uh, to do that, we needed $9,000. Uh, $9,000 that we did not have on Sunday afternoon that we needed to leave Monday morning. And when, when you're adopting overseas, there's some weird stuff that takes place, but you have to take a lot of cash. Uh, and we needed that money. And we had a little bit of room on credit cards, but not much. And we, we did not know what was going to happen. And so... Ronnie, that morning, Ronnie, our lead pastor, he, he stood on stage and he said, hey, Matt and Holly are leaving tomorrow morning uh, to go adopt their little girl and they don't have what they need. And so this morning, uh, we're going to have them stand in the front of the stage. I've told this story before if you've heard it, but we're going to have them stand in front of the stage, which is really, really awkward. I mean, just a very uncomfortable time. Uh, and, and we're going to let you guys just bless them. If you have money that you'd like to give them, uh, that would really help them. And so the Service was over. Last song, I stand at the front of the stage not knowing anybody really in the room, not knowing if anybody was going to come. I mean, why would they come? I don't know anybody. Uh, I haven't been around very long. Uh, There's no reason that they should even care to be involved in what we're doing. And at that moment, I mean, a line started to form from where we stood on the stage, in front of the stage to the back of Indian Creek with people just waiting to give us money. And people would walk up and they would, they just hand us $100 bills. And I'm thinking, why do you have, I've never had a $100 bill in my (laughs) You just have those in your pocket? And they would just hand them to me and people would write checks. And, and Ronnie had even said, hey, this isn't tax deductible. You're not giving to the church. You're straight up giving to Matt and Holly. And so if you want to give, go ahead. And so they'd write checks 
to Holly and I, and we walked out that afternoon with like $9,005. And so God provided... I mean, I had nothing to do with that, but thank you. Uh, God provided in a, in a major, major way. And he continues to provide. God has provided in my life so many stinking times. And I'd like to think uh, that it's because I have figured out some magic code, some secret to how to ask God or how to approach God and ask him for my stuff. Uh, that might be the case, but it's highly unlikely. And in fact, uh, just this week, I went to my office. I mean to my desk, I don't have an office, my cubicle, who am I kidding? I went to my cubicle, walked up to my desk, and there was a, a birthday card there, and inside the birthday card was this lottery ticket. Now, I am not advocating for gambling from the stage, and let's be honest, I didn't pay for it, so it's not really gambling if it's just free money if I win. And so I've got these like, these like nagging bills that are coming up. Uh, you, we all experience them in our lives. My wife's car has a crack in it that started like, last year and we went all winter and it just kept growing and it's just one of those bills where it's like I don't want to spend that money and so you just let it grow and grow and then the other day she got hit by a foul she didn't get hit by a foul ball her car got hit by a foul ball at a baseball game and it hit right on the on the uh, rear view mirror portion of the windshield and it knocked it off and a chunk of glass came out and there's a crack down the middle and so now we just we have to get that fixed we have a, a roof thing that needs to be fixed. Some wind shear took some shingles off, so that's another $1,000. Just these little nagging bills that keep coming up. My kids want to eat. And so there's just these things that just keep, they come up out of the blue. You're not expecting them. And, and so like, I saw this lottery ticket on my desk and no joke, I prayed, God, if you want, if you wanted to provide this way, you, you could, I mean, right? He could. And I'll, Believe you, I started to scratch it off. I needed to get a seven. I don't know these cards very well. I needed to get a seven, and whatever was at the seven is what I would win. And so I'm scratching, and I'm like, oh my, oh my God. I didn't win anything. I didn't win a dang thing. <laughs> all joking aside, we all have some kind of story like that. It, whether you're willing to admit it or not, follower of Christ or not, I think it's pretty safe to say that at some point we've all tried this prayer thing. We've all given it a shot. Whether it's something silly like, a lottery ticket, trying to, to win some money, or, or maybe it's something much more serious. Maybe it's something that you thought you desperately needed, a real need, and you desperately wanted to believe that there was a God and that he might actually come through for you. But did he? Has he come through for you? Or better yet, did he come through for you the way you wanted him to come through for you? Which has left so many of us to say, why am I even doing this? This prayer thing, it just doesn't even work. But the question that we've been asking each week and we'll continue to ask throughout the rest of the series is, what if the reason prayers don't seem to work is because we're not praying right? What if, what if you're not doing it right? What if prayer hasn't worked for you because you don't understand how prayer is supposed to work? What if there's a way to pray that's foolproof, a, a way that always works. Throughout this series, we're answering those questions uh, by looking at how Jesus himself said to pray. Uh, Jesus' dis disciples, the guys that followed him around for so many years, uh, one of them at one point actually got the nerve to stand up and say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Which is an odd request. Uh, these were Jewish men. These were men who grew up every day of their lives praying. They, they would pray before meals. They would pray during Sabbath. Uh, they would pray at synagogue. Uh, but the way they prayed 
wasn't working. They, they'd been watching Jesus. And what they saw in Jesus, they saw something different. They watched him pray and it looked like prayer actually mattered to him. It looked like he looked forward to praying, that he longed for times and opportunities that he could pray. Somehow, when Jesus prayed, it fed his soul the way that food fed their stomachs. And they wanted to know God like that. They wanted to know the power of prayer like that. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the same is still true for us today. You see, we must learn to pray so we don't go our whole lives participating in it without experiencing the power of it. See, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray through what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Many of us have memorized this and were able to recite it all while missing the point. The point that Jesus wasn't actually giving us exact words to say, but more so giving us a template to use, giving us the elements to show us how to pray. And during this series, we're breaking this puppy down piece by piece. And so this morning, I thought it'd be great if we just took a moment together as a church to read it as we get started this morning. So let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, last week we discovered some of the first elements of prayer uh, that Jesus taught us in this Lord's Prayer. That when you pray, you don't actually start by asking for your own stuff. Uh, in fact, you, you start by recognizing and submitting. Recognize, if you remember last week, I had the, uh, the lawn chair up here to represent our throne. And I read Revelation 4 where we see a description of God on his throne. And the fact that that throne is so big. So beyond what we can understand, so huge, and ours is so small, and we recognize that that is who we are praying to, and we submit to that. And then we declare his greatness and surrender our will. Last week we learned our main point was the purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose it. And as promised last week, this week we get into actually asking for our stuff. Asking for stuff is part of prayer, but, but let me warn you. It may not be what you thought it would be. Uh, to, to rephrase, learning how to pray this way, it may mean that you get something different than you asked for. It may mean that you get something better than you asked for. You see, there are three distinct promises for prayer, three distinct rewards we can expect to receive when we pray in a way that works. The first one is God's provision, God's pardon, and God's protection. This morning, we're going to speak about God's provision, and in the coming weeks, we'll speak about the other two. But this morning, we look at Matthew 6, 11 that says this, give us today our daily bread. And you got to be thinking, like the disciples were thinking, yes, finally I get to ask for my stuff. And there's definitely an element of prayer that deals with wants and needs and stuff. Uh, it's actually what most of us come to pray for. Like it's one of the first things that actually draws us to want to pray in the first place. And your heavenly father, to be clear, your heavenly father wants you to ask him for the stuff that you desperately need. But there's a reason Jesus used the phrase daily bread. It doesn't seem like much to us. Most of us eat far more than our daily bread. Most of us have 
far more than we need to simply make it through the day. But Jesus' audience at the time, they would have understood this in a completely different way. In fact, I think they would have understood it far better than we do. See, Jesus' audience at the time, they, they were the Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people prior to that had been called the Israelites. And I don't have time to go into too much about the Israelite story, but at one point in the Israelite history, they were, they were in the desert for 40 years. And during those 40 years, we see God provide for his people over and over and over again in so many amazing ways. One of those ways was through what they called manna. Every night as they slept, manna would fall from heaven. It was like a grain, a grain they would use to make, well, bread and other things. And so every morning they'd walk out of their tents, they'd gather up enough manna for the day, they'd be fed and provided for for the entire day. In fact, God told them, if you take more than you need from the day, it's kind of a waste. It's going to spoil overnight anyway. And that was just so that God could continue to show his people, I'm going to provide for you daily. You don't need to do extra to try and provide for yourself. I got this. Jesus is reminding them that when you ask for your stuff, when you ask for the stuff that you need, when you ask for provision, when you ask for money to help pay the bills, when, when you ask for God to restore a marriage or a relationship, God will move. And your heavenly father has proven he will provide. And this is great news for some of us. But for many others, it can be really frustrating because you've asked. You've asked over and over and over again and he never answered. Or at least you thought he never answered. You asked and things got worse. You were about to head into a meeting with your boss and you asked for that promotion you deserved and you got laid off. You asked and for you it just seemed like another and a long list of seemingly unanswered prayers and so you lost faith. You became frustrated and, and concluded at, at worst that there, that there is no God listening and at best that there is a God but he just doesn't seem to care about me. And that frustration, it, it turns into discouragement. And after talking to people who claim to be followers of Christ, and, and all you hear from them is, as the great one once said, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And then, and then they say, sometimes getting no answer is better because it's always better for you. The problem with that is it's not helpful. It's not helpful to you. And to be honest, they don't believe it either. When this type of stuff comes up in their lives, they're not telling themselves the same stuff. They don't believe it either. It's just all they know how to say. And so they spit it out when you come to them with the hurts and the frustrations that you have. But thankfully, Jesus addressed this very subject that we're going to look at today. What Jesus says is unanswered prayers is a common thing that you will experience. Praying for God to move in a specific need, to move in a specific situation in your life and not seeing God move or, or not hearing anything from him or, or not understanding the outcome, that is something that you can expect to experience. But here's what you can do about it. Don't stop asking. That's Jesus' big answer for us today. Don't stop asking. Whenever I work on a, a main point or kind of a big idea for a sermon, I, I have two ways that I try and do it, just so you know. Let, let you behind the curtain a little bit. One of them is I like to say it enough that it, like it's kind of hidden in there, like maybe you pick it up. I'd be proud of myself that you picked it up when I left. 
The other time is I'm going to say specifically, this is my main point. So in hopes that you actually remember it when you leave. This one's kind of cheesy. This is my main point. You ready? When we ask persistently, God answers consistently. When we ask persistently, God answers consistently. What do you need? What do you want more than anything in the world? Is your marriage on the rocks? Is it, is it just been tough? Are you struggling to pay the bills every single... What is the one thing that you need more than anything? Have you prayed about it every day for years? And won't stop praying until something happens? My experience, my own personal experience, no, you, you haven't. How we normally pray is we just kind of throw them up there. Just kind of spit them out real quick in hopes that something happens and nothing we see happens right away. And so we just give up and we walk away. But what we're going to discover is when we give up on asking, we're actually giving up on God doing something. Jesus talks about that in the book of Luke. Uh, the book of Luke is our, the fourth book in our New Testament. The New Testament or the second half of our Bible. It's the books that kind of tell the story about Jesus' life and about the church after he left. And so Luke writes this in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Why did he mention that? I, I think it was to remind us that prayer was important to Jesus. And if you've been with us since week one, also a reminder that when and where we pray matters. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. That John that he's talking about uh, was John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was kind of the precursor to Jesus. He, he came to make the way, to, to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And John had people that followed him around. And so he would also teach his disciples things just as Jesus did. And you might be thinking, hasn't this already happened? Like just a, a few books ago in Matthew 6, didn't, didn't they already do this? And, and Jesus had to have been thinking the same thing. Jesus is far more gracious than I am. He did not make fun of them. He did not mock them as I would have. He simply went on in verse 2 and said this. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And in that moment, the disciples, they, oh, I forgot. I, you did teach us that. Now that I think about it, you did. Yes, I remember. Here's the problem. We've done it. We've done it and we're not hearing anything. Uh, we've done it and we're not experiencing what you said we'd experience. We've done it, and, and nothing seems to actually work. So Jesus, in his grace to them and his grace to us, says, well, I'm going to address that. And he does that through what's called a parable. A parable is just simply a story. Uh, Jesus chose to teach in parable, I think because it's easy for us to engage in story. And so he would constantly teach using these stories. And in every parable, uh, there's always a character or a person or a thing that represents God. There's always a person or a character that represents us. And it's our job as we read parables to try and figure that out. Thanks, Jesus. It's not always that easy. But sometimes when we read it, we find out that God is speaking to us in a very special way through parable. And he moves on in verse 5. He says this. 
Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. By the way, if you come to my house at midnight, I'm not giving you anything, especially not bread. You better be dying. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Verse 6, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Here's the gist. One rude friend shows up at another friend's house out of the blue without warning. That friend then rudely goes and interrupts another friend uh, and it goes on from there. And what we realize is the disciples must have been thinking, what exactly does this have to do with prayer? Uh, we'll get to that, but first let me ask you, who's who in this parable? Have you figured it out? I mean, it's not the easiest one to figure out right off the bat. See, anytime Jesus teaches, and we, we need to figure out who is who and what character represents God, and we'll figure that out in just a little bit. Let's move on to verse 7. And suppose the one inside, the neighbor who's sleeping, answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. He's saying, go away. He's just, go away. I, I'm asleep. My kids are asleep. I'm not getting up. If you've ever had young kids, you know that when they wake up in the middle of the night, the rest of the night can be completely ruined. I'm not taking that chance. I'm not going to get up and wake the kids up to give you some bread. And if you haven't figured it out, God is the neighbor in bed. We are the guy at the door, which leaves us with three conclusions to possibly make. And one, God can't do anything when we ask. Two, he won't do anything when we ask because it's not that important to him. Or three, that he is annoyed by us asking in the first place. And the disciples, like you may be thinking, they had to be thinking that this isn't making God look so good. Is this really how he chooses to respond to prayers? And I would agree, up until this point in the story, God doesn't look so great. Uh, but Jesus is obviously just illustrating the point that when we ask in prayer and there's seemingly no answer, there's three conclusions that we come to as well. Whether those conclusions happen to be correct or not, here's where the story turns. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. I love that. Your bold, persistent, your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Sooner or later, the man gets up, he wakes the kids, he answers the door, and gives the neighbor what he's asking for, not because he's his friend, but because he kept banging and wouldn't go away until he did. Kind of the simple moral to this story is when you want something bad enough from God, bug him to death about it. Does that mean the only way to get your prayers answers is to ask persistently? Well, not really, no, but it is a really good way. And if you're a father in the room, this is not hard to understand. If you've ever had kids, I mean, they just nag over. Oh, fine. Go play in the street. That's fine. Your heavenly father has a heart that's moved by our persistence. And if you're like me, you might be asking why. And I don't know. To be honest, I don't know that I can say for sure. But I, I believe it's because that through saying it, through constantly saying it and asking, we're revealing the fact that there is no plan B. I, I have no other options. I cannot do this thing on my own. You are the only one who can make this happen. I don't have the money to fly to Ethiopia tomorrow. I'm completely dependent on you 
for my every need. See, our Heavenly Father is not bothered by our persistence. His heart is moved by it. Because the more persistent we are, the more dependent we prove we are, the more desperate for him we become. You see, our persistence, it proves that we have no other options. It shows that we have faith that he will come through because he has to come through. Uh, When we are persistent, he promises to do something. When we ask persistently, God answers consistently. Normally when we pray, we just give up too fast. I think Jesus would tell us that when you need something that only God can do, don't give up. When you think you're finished asking, you're probably just getting started. And Jesus kind of interrupts his own parable in verse 9 to say this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. See, Jesus uses these three words to kind of emphasize persistence in prayer. He says, ask, God, will you please, God, please move. And if you hear nothing, ask with all your might. Keep asking with every ounce of your emotion, everything inside of you, ask again. And if nothing happens, knock, beat the stinking door down. Bother him to death and nag and nag and nag because when we ask persistently, Jesus tells us that God answers consistently, but he doesn't promise to answer the first time. And he doesn't promise to give us everything we ask for, but he promises to always give us what's best for us and what we need most. And that's evident by how Jesus finishes this little passage Which of you as fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Saying, what parent would give a kid something that might destroy them? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? What parent would give their kids something that would cause excruciating pain? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you everything you ask for? No, uh, how much more will your Father in heaven give you everything you think you need right now. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, in your imperfect, sinful, evil nature, you somehow still know how to give good gifts to your children. You still know how to help them know what's best even when they persistently ask. How much more so will your perfect, Heavenly Father, give you what you need most when you persistently ask him. Once in a while, we might actually get exactly what we asked for. We might accidentally stumble into God's will and actually get what we're asking for. But every time, every time we go to him in prayer and we ask for the things that we need, God does something and gives us what we need most. Him. He gives us Him. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that is able to live with us. The Holy Spirit is the answer to your prayers, Jesus would say. He's what you need most. Because everything 
from God, all God's peace, all joy, all hope for the future is provided through the power of his spirit. The God of the universe, your heavenly father, has made it possible for him to be with you. And that happens through his spirit. You see, we want to use prayer as a tool to get what we want. God wants us to use prayer as a tool to lead us to him. Because he's what we need. Have you ever thought about why God doesn't always answer right away or answer the first time? It's because our stuff, our issues, our needs are the things that lead us to him. They're the things that lead us to persistently go back to him. Without them, I can say that for a lot of us, we never would. I don't know that I ever would. In fact, we live in a community where we are surrounded by people. You might be the people that have everything we need. Our lives are pretty good. Without Jesus, you can actually have a fairly decent marriage. You can be successful in life. You can have the money you need and never be drawn to him. How fearful we should be of that. See, Jesus promises that when we do, when we come to him, he may not give us exactly what we want. But he will give us exactly what we need most and what's best for us and what's best for those around us because he loves us. When we ask persistently, God answers consistently. And so to kind of summarize Jesus, he would say, you want to know more about God and how prayer works? Well, first... Identify what you desperately need. Second, don't stop asking until God does something. Knock like crazy. Nag him, bother him until something happens. Don't give up on what only God can provide. Don't give up on what only God can provide in your relationships. Don't give up on the fact that only God can truly restore your marriage. Don't give up on the fact that when you're seeking answers for the next step in your life, whether you be a college student or a high school student or anywhere, don't give up on the fact that only God can give real clear direction. But if there's still no answer, if you're still not feeling God move, we go back one statement. We go back to the statement that I believe we should filter everything through for the entirety of our lives. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus again would say, remember, I'm I'm teaching you how to pray in a way that works. And so if you ask persistently for what you desperately need, what you desperately think you need, with no answer, refer to this previous statement. Refer to this previous question of God, what do you want here? God, what do you want in my marriage? God, what do you want in my job situation? What do you want in my future as I step into college? What do you want here? Discovering that question last week is what makes this so powerful. You see, many times we start by praying, God, me first. See, Jesus is teaching us to ask God this question so we can discover what his will is before we ever even ask. So many of our prayers go unanswered because we we pray our will. 
We sit on our thrones. We look at our kingdom and we make our demands. We think our will is best and it's not. Just like our kids will when they're constantly and persistently asking for something that you know is not good and right for them. They don't know best either. See, your heavenly father will always do what's best for us. If we go back one statement and ask God this question, we're essentially asking him the same question the disciples were asking. God, will you lead me and teach me how to pray in this situation? See, Jesus promises that when we listen and begin to pray in line with what God already wants, we can rest assured it will be done. When we pray his will first, he answers every single time in ways that will blow your mind. That's how we pray in a way that works. So I'm going to ask if Sherry can throw that picture back up of, yeah, that one there. So from the moment we stood on those steps, actually for years before those steps, my prayer, what I desperately wanted from God is that I would be able to lead that child to Jesus. My prayer was that God would come and capture her heart. I prayed over and over and over and over again. She's nine now and and she has a heart for God. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Anybody that knows her, spends any time with her, knows that she has a heart for God. But I'd never had a chance to talk with her about whether or not she's actually put her faith in Jesus, if she's actually done that uh, through prayer. And the other day, it was after Summer Blast. And uh, actually, it was after last week, uh, Relevant Kids. She had a little card. And she was sitting at, the, at the, uh, the island in the kitchen trying to find the scripture from this card. And so she was asking for my help. And so we were just talking about different things. We talked about grace and tried to explain that in a way that a nine-year-old could understand. And, and I said, hey, Cadence, I've, I've never actually asked you, like, have you prayed to ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? And her question was so beautiful. She goes, do I have to pray that? <laughs> and I'm a pastor. And I'm going, I don't, I don't know, actually. I mean... <laughs> Prayer is really just the declaration of something that we know was already taking place in our heart. And so I tried to explain that to her again. And she said, well, I've done that. He is the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. And so for, I don't know, 12 years I've been praying for this moment that happened at the island in my kitchen. It really wasn't all that spectacular. Uh, and in that moment I looked at her and I said, Cadence, I just want you to know I have been praying for this moment <laughs> for so long. And knowing that you've chosen to follow Jesus brings so much joy to my heart. And she looked at me and she said, D, she calls me D, we'll talk about that later. D, I want you to know the fact that you love Jesus and want me to love Jesus, it brings joy to my heart. And man, I was making fajitas and I was crying. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. It was just her and I. It was just, it was one of the most beautiful moments. And, and what it reminded me of Never stop knocking. Never stop asking. And don't think for a moment that just because she's nine and she's put her faith in Jesus that I'm going to stop asking for God to work in her life. I'm not. I'm going to pray over and over and over again, believing that God will move. So what do you need so badly that you won't stop asking until God does something? After you identify that, Start going to him in prayer every single day 
and don't give up until he does something. For many of us, we can actually skip the identify part. Uh, we have these things in our lives. We know what we're praying for. We've been praying for it for longer than we can remember. And so my encouragement to you, keep praying. Don't stop. For others, I think for a lot of us, I know for myself included, we can also skip the identify stage because we know we have something, but we gave up praying for it a long time ago. In fact, I sat in my office this morning as I prepared and I was reminded, <laughs> I was reminded of something that I gave up praying for a long time ago. I have a son, he's 19, that doesn't follow Jesus. And I prayed <laughs> as hard for him as I did for Cadence. And I gave up a long time ago. And this morning, I was just overcome. Normally when I'm spending time trying to button up my message, I'm just bawling in my office. By the way, if you haven't had a good cry in a while, they're really great. Um, but what I was reminded of in that moment, yes, of course, keep praying. But in that moment, I got more of him. In that moment, I got to feel him. I got to feel him comfort me, to tell me that he's not upset with me, that I gave up. I got to feel him encourage me to keep praying and believing that he would move. So this morning, just as we're gonna do every week throughout this series, we're gonna give you some time to pray. We're gonna give you some time to use this question as kind of something to spur in your heart, something that you might need to pray. Identify where you need something so desperately that only he can do it and begin praying about it today. For those of you watching online, it's just gonna be a few moments. I'll be right back. But let's take this moment to practice what we've learned this morning. <laughs> So I ask this question again, does prayer work? Well, this kind of prayer always works. It always works on us. And it always works for us because we always end up with more of him. And more of him is the reward for prayer. Heavenly Father, Your name be lifted high. You are so far beyond me, yet so near to me. 
God, I have things. We all have things. But for those of us that are trying to follow you, we, we want to ask in the right way. So would you teach us? Would you help us to identify where you're working, where you're moving, what your will might be so that we can ask in the right way? And God, would you encourage us to keep asking? Father, we love you and we're so grateful for who you are, the way that you work in our lives. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.